Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in uh, to Biltmore Church Online. Hope you've already had a great morning uh, of worship. Before we jump into God's Word, let me give you uh, one uh, invitation you've hopefully heard of by now, and that is if you would love for you to join us uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, um, for a panel discussion on race. Uh, Obviously, it's a difficult time. Uh, in the life of our country. There's a lot of uh, difficult discussions that need to be had, and hopefully uh, tomorrow night um, that will be a, uh, a step toward that. It's going to be online, all right? So if you want to go to either the Biltmore Church Facebook page uh, or you want to go to biltmorechurch.com, it will be live streamed. We have a great panel that uh, God has kind of orchestrated to put together, uh, but a needed, a very needed conversation. So, all right, it's, so it's going to be... Uh, uh, Monday night at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time, okay? So we'd love for you to be a part of that because it has been very, very difficult times and some difficult days ahead and decisions that need to be made and some things that need to be, uh, need to be worked through. Uh, if, you hadn't, if you've been with us, we've been in a series of, out of the book of Philippians called The Gospel Changes Everything. The Gospel Changes Everything. And what we've seen is um, the gospel changes everything from the way we uh, view our purpose to the way we view other people to the way we view circumstances and trials uh, but one of the things we don't often talk about is it actually changes the way that we see the way that we see death. All right. So last week, uh, if you watched, we we kind of finished out the last section of chapter one. Uh, but one of the things we didn't do is there's a verse there, verse 21, that's kind of the coffee cup verse. When I say coffee cup verse. In the book of Philippians, there's two or three verses that if you've been in church for any length of time, uh, then what you see, these are verses you oftentimes see like at a Christian bookstore or on a coffee mug or needlepoint or whatever. Philippians 4.13 is one, and then Philippians 1.21 is also one. That's the one that says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, last week, we really spent the most of the time on what is that whole thing to live as Christ? What does that mean? And we didn't focus on the back half, which is some phenomenal news. How can a guy say, you know, that dying is actually gain? How is a guy struggling on which one is better? And I want to just give you some good news today. All right. I, I, what came to mind is that, that new kind of the new web series uh, from you might know him as Jim at the office, but John Krasinski, and it's just some good news. And as I looked it up, he got 330,000 subscribers on the very first night. In the first 24 hours, the first episode was viewed 3 million times, all right? So here's what I say that to say, I've got some great news from the good news of the gospel, but it's regarding some very, very misunderstood news. When I say misunderstood, I'm just saying the average Christian very much misunderstands what this is about. So let me kind of set it up. Our springboard is going to be from Philippians 1, 21 and 23. Don't turn there because we're actually not going to be there this morning. Next week, we'll jump back on Philippians 2. But let me recap what that verse says. Verse 21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then verse 23, he's like struggling. He's like, which one's better? Which one's better? Should I stay here and help you as a church? Or, but he goes, man, but to go and be with Christ is, he actually says, it's so much better. But I would challenge us all to say that is very, very rare for a Christian, especially here in the West, to think that, to think, man, to go, to go to heaven is better than right now. Now, you can blame that we have so much comfort here or, or whatever. I would say a lot of it is based on the fact that we just have a messed up, jacked up, confused, misunderstood theology in general about heaven, about what happens after we die. The Apostle Paul was a person that, maximized his life and leveraged it for the kingdom. He did. 
but part of the reason was is that he understood what awaited him afterwards. All right, somebody said this, if you're not, the man who's not prepared to die is really not prepared to actually live. And the apostle Paul lived his life to the fullest for the glory of God. But you look throughout his letters, he had a well-spelled out looking forward to heaven. First and second Corinthians, he talks about it. He tells Timothy, the young pastor, he's like, man, my time for me to depart is now and I, and I am ready to go. One of my favorites in the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight, he actually says this. He says, you know what? Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. And so, but you ask the average Christian about heaven, you're gonna get things like uh, streets of gold, um, pearly gates, uh, long, long church services. That's what, that's what you get. And so using that as a springboard, here are two things I wanna put before we jump into a text. The first one is most average Christians do actually think, and maybe you, maybe you think and have learned and been taught or brought in the fact that heaven is going to be boring. That's kind of what Christians think. Christians think heaven is going to be boring. It's things like, you know, it's like an eternal choir practice where we wear diapers and float around on a cloud and we play a harp and Morgan Freeman is talking and we've got all these things that that's what heaven's going to be like. And some of you do feel that way. And I cannot tell you, and what my goal is today is to, man, get rid of that. Heaven is anything but boring and that is not how the Bible describes it in any way, shape or form. A second thing that oftentimes when you just mention heaven is what I always, we've, we've taught, it's been years since we taught on this, but anytime we have taught on this, somebody will invariably come up and say, well, pastor, what do you think about this book or that book? Or here's a book about somebody who, you know, died on the operating table and uh, he was dead for five minutes and then they somehow brought him back to life and he came back and he wrote a book about, you know, my five minutes in heaven or what I saw or I saw this light or whatever. What about those? I'm like, you know, honestly, I don't really know. I don't really know. You're like, are you saying you don't believe what they say? I'm saying I don't know, all right? I haven't, haven't been to heaven. I don't know what they're saying is true. All I would say is God did write a book and he told his apostles, write this stuff down. So I know the, the other books, if they contradict what this says, is those definitely are false. But a lot of times it's like, all right, God has given us plenty of stuff. Has he given us all the picture of what heaven's gonna be like? No. Is there some mystery? Yes, but there's some of the coolest stuff about heaven. And I'm just gonna do a flyby on five or six verses. So if you have your Bibles, um, uh, turn to them. And if you don't have them, I just realize uh, they're gonna be on the screen. Uh, one thing to say, we're gonna just do a 10,000 foot view. I put down some of those other books like, eh, be careful what you read. I would say the best book on heaven that I've seen that I would encourage you to look at. Not that I agree 100% with all of it, but it's an amazing reference. And that is a book by Randy Alcorn simply called Heaven. It's not easy. It's about that big. It's kind of almost like a reference book. But I would say what he does do is he takes the book and then makes application from that in his book. So that's the best thing about it. So we're going to actually be in uh, the second to the last chapter of your Bible. And it's Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at the first five or six verses. And then very simply, I'm going to pull pull. Uh, four things out of these six verses that are in heaven. And some of them I think will surprise you. And I think for most all people, it's going to very much excite you. So I'm going to read the six verses and then go back through them. And we'll take four things about, uh, about heaven. What's some good news about heaven, right? Revelation 21 verse one says, then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. If you underline in your Bible, underline the word new. I'm going to come back to that. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, that's kind of like heaven's capital, if you will, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I mean, that's, that's a great picture there. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself, that's emphasized, God himself will be with them as their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Two more verses. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said when he finished his work on the cross. It is finished. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega. That's the bookends of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. All right, so Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, the last two chapters in your Bible, that's like a travel brochure of heaven. So regardless of how you look at the book of Revelation, these last two chapters, uh, this is like the final chapter in history, if you will. Uh, John's been given these visions and like this is the last one. And parenthetically, the book of Revelation was written primarily to people who were undergoing some very difficult times, but we're gonna undergo even more difficult times. And this is the unveiling really about Jesus, about what Jesus has done, about the Lamb of God. It's about Jesus, but this is the last part of it and it's to encourage them. <clears throat> I was told as a brand new Christian, and I want to get this out. I was told as a brand new Christian, uh, and I didn't have a lot of discipleship early on, so I had a lot of zeal and not a lot of knowledge. And I remember my stepdad actually telling me, he said, you just, you're going to get so heavenly minded, you're not going to be of any earthly good. And sometimes Christians can get that way. I would say the bigger problem is sometimes we're so earthly minded, we're of no heavenly good. But when you look down through church history, those Christians that understood what awaited them, it motivated them to live now for things like truth and justice and compassion. And so don't let anybody say, oh, you're thinking about heaven. If you think about heaven, you won't be of any earthly good. History has shown us the opposite being true. So what do I see here? Let me give you four things real quick. In heaven, Number one, everything is new. Everything is new. Verse one and two and verse five. The word new there is the word kenos, which actually doesn't mean new like brand new. It actually means remade or renewed, all right? The idea of superior quality. And I say that to say this. Heaven is not some pie in the sky, ethereal moment, state of mind out there. That's not what it is. It's actually a renewed, remade, glorified heaven and earth. The word kainos is the same word that's used in another great verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17. When it talks about the person who's come to faith in Christ and what's, what's up with him or her, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, same word. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Almost verbatim, what John comes along and says, and so when you think about it, the new Christian is the same person, but she's different. All right, she's different. There's a quality of life about her that she didn't have before, renewed, superior to the old. 
Maybe think about it like a caterpillar as it turns into a butterfly. It's the same, but it's very, very different. And when he says the old has passed away, what he's saying is like, you think that was great? <laughs> Wait until you see the renewed, remade version of what you already think is amazing. And so let's just use our kind of a sanctified imagination here for a second. I mean, we, we get to live, if you're in Western North Carolina, which is where Biltmore Church is located, um, we're spoiled because we get to live in, I would say, arguably the most beautiful, beautiful part of the world. The only thing that has even rivaled, anytime I've flown back into Western North Carolina, I was like, man, is, we are so much prettier than any place else I've ever been. The only place that even rivaled it visually was actually a few years ago, my wife and I got to go to Hawaii, all right? The only thing that even rivaled it was that. Every other time you come back in. So if you're from Western North Carolina, just dream for a second. Can you imagine what a glorified, let's just say, Triple Falls looks like? I mean, Triple Falls is amazing. It made its debut, I guess, in the Hunger Games. All right, the first one, you got those three waterfalls. You're like, that's amazing. Imagine what does a glorified Triple Falls actually look like? All right, how about this? What is a glorified, what is a glorified ribeye steak? Sorry, vegans. I'm just saying, what is a glorified ribeye steak? What does that taste like? What's it like to eat in a glorified uh, Chick-fil-A? I mean, in verse five, he says, I'm making all things new. Now just think, think with me for a second. Kind of smile and it's okay to think. He says, I am making all things new. So two things just out of that verse five, I want you to notice. He says, all things, I'm making all things new. Notice in your Bible, there is no asterisk that says, you know what, uh, all things, and there's no place like, hey, note in the fine print, he doesn't mean some other things. He says, all things. I'm making all things new. So what does that mean? That includes all things. That includes glorified mountains, glorified waterfalls, glorified oceans, planets, animals, uh, music, uh, architecture, um, glorified jobs, which Parenthetically, I know some of you are like, man, heaven's gonna be boring and, and, and what are we gonna do in heaven? One of the things the Bible does say we can't drill down on today is that, is that we all do have, resp- if you're in heaven, you're gonna have some responsibilities. People are like, man, I don't wanna work anymore and I understand that, but understand your job is not, was not part of the curse, all right? Part of the curse was not the job. Adam and Eve had a job. What happened with the curse is the job got hard. It got toilsome, it got frustrating, but you do have some jobs in heaven, things that you love to do and you have great fulfillment and great energy from. From what I can tell, there's only two jobs that you know are not gonna be in heaven. Number one are doctors because there's no sickness there. And number two are evangelists because there's no, everybody who's in heaven is already saved. So other than those two, you got a bunch of different jobs that he is going to assign. Second thing I want you to notice is this, and just think, this is how fun is this. The tense that he says, I'm making all things new is the tense that is the idea of I'm making all things new all the time. I'm making all things new continually. In other words, things are all and always new all the time. So I'm renewing and remaking all things all the time. And so think about how awesome that would be. I mean, think of the dumb questions you could actually ask in heaven. It's like, hey, is that a new suit? Well, yeah, it's a new suit. Yeah, because it's new all the time right? Is that a new haircut? Yeah, it's a new haircut. Yeah, because it's a new haircut all the time. Um, hey, was, was supper good last night? Was dinner good? Well, yeah, it was amazing, all right? We've, I've never tasted anything like that ever before in my entire life. You know why? Because it's new. It's just new. 
And so everything in heaven is new. Second thing is that the reunions in heaven are amazing. Look at verse three. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now I love that because he's like, listen, pay attention to this. Loud voice is mentioned 20 times in Revelation and it means, hey, don't miss, you don't wanna miss any of it, but don't miss this. And then what he says is that heaven is where God and his people are reunited together. God himself will literally move into the neighborhood. And I think how awesome this is. I mean, no longer do you have to uh, just talk to God in prayer to an invisible God. You get to talk to the God who's moved into your neighborhood. It's not relying on the person of the Holy Spirit anymore. There's no longer what Paul in another letter says, there's a veil right now that we just kind of see dimly right now. All that stuff, all that stuff is removed. It's just there. God himself is with his people. And so think about some of the questions you might want to ask. Now, by the way, people sometimes like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God some questions, kind of real sassy and belligerent. First of all, if that's kind of your attitude, you're probably not going to have the chance to ask that question, all right? But it's okay you think the idea of asking him some questions. I mean, it'd be, how awesome would that be to ask the second person of the Trinity, for example, to ask Jesus just some questions? You've probably got yours. I mean, you could ask a thousand questions in there. What was it like when you were a boy? I mean, next week we're going to look at, you know, how did, the, how did God become a man? I mean, Philippians 2 is the most packed passage of that. But think about those questions. What was it like to be a boy? We don't have a lot of information. We have his birth and he got a little bit of stuff in Luke about his childhood, but I mean, nothing about his teenage years. And then he starts his ministry at 30. But I mean, what was it like as a boy? I mean, God incarnate as a teenager. What was that like? What was it like? What was it like when you walked on water? I mean, granted, it probably wasn't a big deal to him because like, he made the water, but it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think all of us want to know what was it like when, what was it like when you took the sin debt of the world on your shoulders? What, what was all in that when you said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, what was that like? And then you probably got your questions that you just want to humbly ask as well. I mean, maybe some pain in your life that you still to this day, you do not understand. I mean, I've told you before, if you're asking me, what was I going to ask him? I'd like to know just, hey, what was the deal? What was the big picture? How did this how did you use like that? For me, it was the death of my dad when I was 16. What, how did you take all of that stuff even before I was a follower of Jesus and how did you orchestrate that? I mean, you got your questions and I got mine, but the fact that the reuniting with our savior, but also it's not just reuniting with him. That's awesome. That's the highlight, but it's also reuniting. You see the text, it says, and his people will be with him. And so what does that mean? It means that there's a family reunion, if you will, um, with all our loved ones, our friends and family who have died in Christ. I would say the number one question that is asked of heaven, besides how do I get there, but the number one question about what is heaven going to be like is, will I know people there? Particularly, will I know my loved ones there? Will, I, will we recognize each other up there? And I want to say, uh, I think the Bible teaches emphatically, yes, we will. I think we will. 
You're like, why do you think? Because it's really not about what I think, but there's a bunch of Bible verses. Let me give you two examples about why I think the Bible indicates that we will know each other in heaven. A uh, first one is the closest thing we know about what like a resurrected bodies will be like is the resurrected Jesus. Now, if you look at the resurrected Jesus, most of the time, there's a few examples where they didn't recognize him, but it's the idea of like uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's kind of like he wanted to stay hidden for a little bit while he talked to them. But so many of the other resurrection appearances, people knew, hey, that's Jesus. Looks like Jesus. The scars on his hand are the only things that are different. But you know what? That looks like Jesus. Um, another example is a place in the Bible called the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you're basically what that is, you can just kind of look it up in your concordance. But what that is, is when Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up on a mountain. And just for a second, Jesus is glorified, but you see a place there uh, where two Old Testament characters that are separated from Peter, James, and John by 1500 years. And they recognize, hey, that's Moses, that's Elijah. They never met them. And so some way, shape, or form, without name tags, there's no indication it's like Moses or somehow, some way, we do know each other in heaven. And the reason, and I would say that's different for depending on where you are. Uh, when I was a child, for sure, and even when I was a teenager, not even growing up in church, you kind of think about heaven every once in a while, or you see a cartoon or something like that. But as a, uh, I remember, I mean, I didn't think about death very often. The first time I remember thinking about heaven, I'm sure I did before that, was actually as a seventh grader, all right? Uh, I was actually at a, a Catholic prep school, and one of our seventh grade classmates, a guy named Kelly, uh, we found out he had been hit by a car on his bicycle and had died. And then there was a, a mass and some stuff like that for him. But this is the first time I began, I began to think about that. And so when you're a kid, I remember as a kid, though, and as a teenager, I thought heaven was kind of a cold place. It's a good place. It was a lot better than hell, but I was like, it's, a, it's kind of cold. I mean, you got pearly gates and streets of gold, big walls. But here's what I found out, and it's just as I reflected a little bit. As you get older, because when you're young, almost everybody you know is here. But as you get older, and as the years go by, more and more people who you know, friends, family, who are in Christ, and you love them, they pass away, they die. You go to their funeral. And what's, when you begin to reflect on heaven, as you get older, what happens is the idea of being reunited with them gets more and more precious. And maybe that's what Paul's thing is like, I can't wait to see some people that I know are in heaven and I look forward to, to, to seeing them. And so when you think about heaven, I just want you to think, you know what, reunions are amazing. Everything is new. And then a couple more real quick. Uh, verse four, suffering is gone. Suffering is gone. Verse four says, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. Tears are synonymous with pain and suffering here on earth. So what does that look like? It means no more, no more ERs, uh, means no more chemo units, means no more children's hospital, no more grief counselors, no more tax forms, probably no more DMV, all that stuff. No more, no more suffering like that. It says no more pain anymore. Pain is more likely physical in this, in this case, no more pain. And that's kind of funny. Some of you all kind of are depressed because you're getting older. Uh, you're getting depressed. You're like, man, I'm trying to keep it together and I'm trying to, you know, tuck here and get in shape here. And you're like, I'm getting depressed. And it can be depressing. You know why? Because uh, the older you get, your body starts to perish a little bit. I definitely uh, remember the days when in order for me to get sore, to have sore muscles or just to be, you know, have a stiff back or whatever, 
I had to like work out really hard, all right? So if I worked out super hard or ran sprints or whatever, you know, my, hams, my hamstrings might be a little bit sore. Or if I, we did certain things in the weight room, your chest might be a little bit sore. I mean, now, now I don't have to do anything, all right? I just wake up and I'm sore, all right? I just wake up and the back is stiff, all right? So all I, I mean, I have to have two a leave just to basically almost get out of bed. What is that? Uh, can that be depressing? Uh, it can be. And so the good news for you and for me is the good news is you have a glorified body waiting, all right? Fresh mind, fresh body. What came to mind for some of you uh, boomers or Gen Xers is a deal called the $6 million man. There was a show back when I was a kid, it was a $6 million man. $6 million man was like Steve Austin. It says like Steve Austin, a man barely alive, but we can rebuild him. I mean, $6 million, that's like a that's like a budget item now, but $6 million, $6 million to rebuild this guy, all right? And so he had... He was, he was so much better than he was before. Listen, that's not just some show when you were a kid. Uh, here's, a, here's a thought. Uh, your worst day in heaven, your worst day in heaven is better than your best day here, all right? Your worst day in heaven is better than your best day here. You see somebody, you see somebody in heaven uh, and you go, hey, are you having a good day? <laughs> They're gonna go, are you new here? Are you new here? Do you not understand? Every day is awesome. All right. Every day is awesome. Why? Because suffering is gone. So let me, uh, let me finish with this one. Verse six, satisfaction is full. Satisfaction is full. Suffering is gone. Reunions are amazing. Everything is new. Satisfaction is full. It says it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now look at that little phrase. Thirst. I will give from the spring of water of life that any, th- any thirst is abundantly satisfied. So here's a couple things to think about. In heaven, by the way, you don't want wrong things. Here sometimes, because of our sin nature, we still want wrong stuff. It's like, I want this, and it's wrong to even want that. In other words, though, everything in heaven that we, uh, we can have everything there that we can righteously desire. There's not one thing lacking in heaven that would increase your joy. Let me say it again. There's not anything lacking in heaven that would increase your joy and happiness. So I'm gonna challenge you here a little bit to think outside the box. Some of you are like, that can't be true. And I'm just saying, if you're really vehement about it, you better chapter and verse me, all right? And again, I would say it'd be great for a lot of you to kind of just read to think, could this be the case? I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying, could it be? So what are some stuff, and what's some stuff now you really, really like that is not sinful, could it be in heaven and just be like 100% better? So let's take a few of these. Like coffee, for example. Some of you are like a super coffee drinkers. I gotta have my coffee. I gotta have my coffee. So let's think about this. Is coffee in heaven? God made coffee, all right? He made the coffee bean. God made the coffee bean. God made coffee. There are no addictions in heaven, all right? So you're not gonna get the shakes in heaven for having too much coffee. I cannot think of a biblical reason why coffee would not be in heaven. What about entertainment? Uh, what about music? Let's take music, for example. Can you imagine a glorified Handel's Messiah? That's probably the prettiest music I've ever heard. Handel's, can you imagine a glorified Handel's Messiah? Now, granted, anything that would dishonor God is not in heaven, so there's no music in heaven that's gonna dishonor God, but we don't know all the music. Obviously, there's praise and worship music in heaven. Obviously, everything to some degree, because it's heaven, is worshipful. I mean, just music as an enjoyment, could that be in heaven? Don't see why not, Okay. What about stuff like uh, the ability to play sports? Like some of you are like, man, I love sports right now. Now, some of us is an idol, but it doesn't have to be. 
all right? It can be great, enjoyable, um, satisfying. It can be great camaraderie with people. Why is that not heaven? Can you imagine how awesome that would be to like to play golf with Payne Stewart in heaven? I mean, how, I, I want to do that. I hope that's there. Um, here's what I would challenge you as a parent. Teach your kids, though. Teach your kids that heaven is awesome. Teach your kids that heaven is amazing, that they have a good, good father who wants to give amazing things to his kids, all right? So help them understand what's good here, what's great here is gonna be amazing in heaven, twice as good, 50 times as good in heaven. So you're on a roller coaster or something, and they like love roller, I love roller coasters, love roller coasters. Instead of saying, hey, well, you know what? You better enjoy it now because there are no roller coasters in heaven, right? Don't say that. You don't even know that. That could be an Say, hey, you know what? If this is an awesome roller coaster, can you imagine what God's roller coasters are like in heaven? That's awesome. You imagine how great cotton candy is in heaven? I mean, how good is that? But just teach him to say, you know what? God's earth is as good as it is oftentimes. It's painful as it is too. As good as it is, think about how awesome uh, that could be. Um, people I know, they're gonna ask me, they're gonna say, all right. And I will say a little bit of my progression. People off, every time we talk about heaven down through 30 years of ministry, they're like, all right, is Fido gonna be in heaven? Is my, is my dog gonna be in heaven? And I will tell you, I, what I used to say up until maybe five or 10, eh, probably 10 years ago, what I used to say when they'd say, and I, I think, all right, I'm gonna have to tell them something difficult here. I'm gonna have to tell them, you know what? Pets don't have souls, so they're not going to heaven. That's a tough, that's, that's just a tough truth. You know what, kind of what I think the better answer is, all right, the Bible says there's a new heaven and a new earth with a healed version of all that we love down here. So you go and you figure out uh, what that might mean, you know, with, with, with your dog, all right? And they're like, well, what about my cat? And it's like, whatever, just don't push it, all right? Just don't push it, all right? We'll do, we'll do hell on another time. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, push yourself to think how awesome could heaven be? How awesome is what little we actually do know. How awesome is it that heaven can be? But please hear me as we close. As awesome as heaven is, John, who wrote Revelation, wants to make sure that his readers know that as awesome as heaven is, hell is, hell is that awful. This isn't really a sermon on hell. We've done those before. And this isn't a sermon on that. But as awesome as heaven is, John is crystal clear that hell is that much worse and even to such an extent that he closes the entire book of Revelation, in a sense, closes the Bible with an invitation. If you look across the page to Revelation 22, verse 17, it says this. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Here's what, what John says is, you you don't have to miss heaven. You don't have to. Heaven is an invitation that he's actually closing the whole, the whole book by. And I know you might be here, and if you're like me and you didn't grow up in church, you're like, man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I did. I mean, I like Jesus and everything, but I'm not really sure. As best and as loving as I can say, if you're not sure that there's been a time where you turn from your sin and embrace Jesus by faith, I mean, not just saying a prayer, but you're just like, you know what? I am turning to Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, I've heard, I don't know everything, but what I am, I want to receive uh, the gift. That's what it is. I want to receive that gift. The cry of my heart is I want Jesus to be my savior. If you, can, if you can't look back and say, man, there's a time I did that, 
um, I don't know if I've done that as loving as I can. Is if you don't know that you've done that, then you probably haven't. And I want to implore you: don't just kind of roll the dice on this and think, "Man, I hope I hope I, I hope I have. I hope I had." Man, just nail that down right now, this morning. Okay, just nail it down right morning. What you, what, you, what you want to just be able to say is, you know what? What Jesus did on the cross when he said it is finished, man, I want in on that, all right? Somehow, some way, what he did on the cross counted for me, all right? He lived the sinless life. He died in my place. And I want to put, I'm putting all my chips to the center of the table on Jesus and his invitation. And when he says come, I'm like, I'm coming right now, all right? So if that's you, why don't you bow your heads, all right? Just bow your heads. And I'm going to pray. And as your head is bowed, just say, what Jesus, what you did on the cross, I'm putting my trust and my faith in, okay? So, Father, we want to pray right now, and I'll pray for that, um, that man or that woman right now. They're not sure that they're going to heaven. I want to pray today is a great day of good news, of great joy. And today was a day where they just say, you know what? What Jesus did on the cross, saying, it is finished. Counts for me. And right there in the comfort of their home or a shop that they're in or wherever they're watching from, I pray that right now they would have a cry of their heart to say, Jesus, would you save me? I accept your free offer. You said you've paid it all. God, I don't want to get in on that. So right now be my Lord and be my Savior. My Father, for the Christians out there, help us to live now like we know where we're going. A lot of stuff going on in our world right now. We know our future is secure, so right now, help us to live rightly, live justly, walk humbly with both you and the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.